and welcome or welcome back to the Technicast, the academic podcasting community that celebrates the current work being done in the arts and humanities. In our last episode, we heard from Rachel Holmes and Rachel Hopkin about their experiences as part of the organising committee of the Beyond Human Symposium, which took place at Royal Holloway back in May. It was a really wonderful and generous conversation where they shared tips and tricks for pulling off a successful symposium. So if you yourself are planning an academic conference or thinking about organising one in the future, do go back and have a listen. As someone who managed to lock themselves in a stairwell at the start of the last conference I organised, I wish I'd have had their advice in planning and just can't recommend it highly enough. Today, we're very excited to be continuing the conversation around Beyond Human, where we'll be hearing from two more members of the organising committee, Liz K. Miller and John Mason, who discussed the symposium's themes and the conversations that arose there around landscape, the paranormal, and the complexities around communications and connections with non-human or beyond-human forms. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name's Liz K. Miller. And I'm John Mason. And we are both techno students. We were both part of the organising committee of the Beyond Human Symposium, a techno-funded event. And within the team of techno students who organised the conference and put it on, we had lots of different specialist backgrounds that we come from. So I myself, I'm a storyteller. And I'm an audio-visual artist. And Rachel Holmes is a visual artist. Simon Apley is a filmmaker and lecturer in film. And Rachel Hopkin is a screenwriter and lecturer as well. So lots of different practice-based skills coming into the mix. But um, all of us with interests within that that touched on the theme of communication and engagement beyond the human. John, what was your highlight of the symposium? The aspect of it that I enjoyed most was the format, which I think Rachel Holmes devised, whereby we'd have a keynote speaker in the morning and then Q&A, and then the same speaker taking part in a panel discussion with two others later on in the day, exploring those themes further with a, with a chair prompting with questions. I'd never been to an academic meeting or conference um, quite like that before and, and I think it, it enabled us to really dive into the issues uh, very deeply and also um, explore them very widely. I thought that was really good fun. We're now going to talk about some of the themes that came up during the keynote lectures from Jairus and Ros Mortimer. Jairus explained that his interest in Pan, the Greek god, as a, a figure, as a symbol, started when he'd had a particular experience at the Stone Circle at Avebury in Wiltshire, where he felt that uh, a, a goat was trying to communicate, trying to make some message known to him. But he went on to talk about how after recently moving to North London, he'd come across some intriguing, curious examples of synchronicity with similar figures all seeming to turn up in the same area, the examples he gave were that Stephen King, the American novelist, had stayed in the area Crouch End in the late 70s and there written a short story which heavily featured the goat-based old one from H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos. And then many years later in the early 90s, 
uh, local artist had constructed a sculpture called the Crouch End Spriggan, which emerges from the arch of a disused railway line, which, while not being exactly goatee, is a similar sort of part human, part animal, plant, um, vegetal kind of nature figure. And while looking into both these um, examples, Jairus had discovered a website made by some local teenagers all about a figure that they called Goatman, I think it was. And as far as he could tell, these three instances were completely unconnected examples of people being drawn to such a figure in their imaginations to express something that they felt in that place in different means and at slightly different points in time. So the idea of synchronicity as a something that we should maybe pay attention to was one of the, the big points he was making, wasn't it? Leading on from Jairus's discussion of Pan, of the myth of Pan, how did the panel then lead on to discuss myths and storytelling now? Well, we had what I thought was a very interesting discussion on humans as storytelling beings, really, didn't we? And, and, and the idea that we inherently, and it's in our evolutionary psychology, we use the structures of stories and the language of symbols as a way of making sense of reality around us, of perhaps uh, constructing order out of chaos almost. So that was very interesting to talk about from both the perspective of old myths, which is very much part of what Jairus was talking about, but also new spaces and how that might apply in an urban space um, like Crouch End or, or anywhere else. And Rachel Hopkins' perspective of digital communication and AI and virtual reality and augmented reality was a very interesting light to shed on all that. The question of how humans interact with robotic beings and how that is shaping our understanding of ourselves and things as well. John, we talked about the intoxication of the city itself, didn't we? Yes, it was really interesting because Jairus had said very early on in his talk that he has spent an awful lot of his life living in London. And although at different times he's felt that maybe he should move away and go and be in a more countryside sort of space, actually London keeps drawing him back. And so the idea of London itself as an intoxicating, um, as, as a place that people can even be addicted to, was something that came up quite strongly in the panel discussion later. The second day of the symposium, the themes were haunting and landscape. Rosamund Mortimer's film, The Deathless Woman, was a semi-autobiographical hybrid film about her experiences in Poland, trying to discover where unmarked Roma graves were. The film tracks how the landscape gave her signs to pay attention and return to a space before she even knew that there was a Roma grave there. And by attuning herself to the signs that the landscape was giving her, Roz did eventually return to this space and then discover that the graves were there. The film asked us to listen more closely to the landscape and consider that, in fact, maybe the landscape has agency, can hold memories and give us signs to guide us back to rediscovering what happened there. It was also really fascinating to see how Roz looked at the idea of how the communities that lived in these places held the memory and projected that onto the landscape maybe or how they interacted with the landscape which they knew had been the site of um, events which were traumatic of 
Roma people being executed by Nazi soldiers during the Second World War. She spoke very movingly about being approached by one old woman who disclosed to her that she had seen an execution take place that she'd never spoken to anyone about. She'd been a 12-year-old girl when she'd seen it. And she was able to show Roz the spot where it had happened. Just It looked like it was on a road junction, didn't it? And um, this was a space that that woman had had to walk past you know, almost daily by the sound of it, but it was certainly a, a part of her local landscape. And so she would constantly have been aware of all of the emotions bound up with that memory centred on that spot and what that's like to live with that in the landscape you move through on a daily basis. She talked really eloquently about differing views. Some writers who have characterised trees specifically as being witnesses to events, but who don't share Silent witnesses. Yes, yeah, silent witnesses and almost willfully silent. Culpable. Yeah, culpable because they are not disclosing what's happened, which I think... Which she felt and... Most people in the room probably agreed. That... We felt that in actual fact, yes, they, the trees were holding those memories, but they were giving Roz signs to go back and investigate and know about the events that had happened. Hmm. If you get the opportunity to see The Deathless Woman and it is on tour now, I would highly recommend it. Um, the panel of the second day was Ros Mortimer, Simon Appley and Rachel Holmes. John, could you tell us about how Simon's work and Rachel's work linked so well with Ros's film? It was, it was amazing just how closely they were connected. So Simon talked about his experiences making films about Northern Ireland, where he's from and how community identity is connected to and expressed through place, both within the context of the Troubles in Northern Ireland and just in general, really. And so within that, there was an awful lot of overlap with Ros's film and the idea of places as sites of memory. And so these places, therefore, having maybe an emotional significance, which resonates and stands out with successive generations in a way which isn't necessarily conscious, isn't necessarily literal, isn't necessarily scientifically expressed. He had a, a wonderful example from one of his films of a mound in a golf course which was known to some people thereabouts as being a fairy mound and which the golf course had not interfered with, had, had gone round, which was fascinating because you hear about these things from Iceland, which is very famous for having like, over 60% of the population or something still believe in elves, but to show that actually that that way of looking at the world is still more widespread uh, was, was really interesting to hear. Rachel's work as a visual artist was drawing a lot on her own experiences of dreams, wasn't it? And From within the forest. Yes, absolutely. A forest, yeah. A forest retreat. Yeah, she, she talked about this amazing sounding quite challenging retreat that she'd been on where she was in a forest in Northern Ireland where she's also from for several days on her own and and the experience of how she came to perceive her surroundings differently and the personal understanding and so if you want to put it this way the messages that the surrounding non-human life forms the trees the bushes the birds um, the land itself seemed to be giving her. Yeah, it was a really interesting example of how if you step outside the 
the standard patterns of conventional modern urban life, then you can experience place in a different way and find yourself connecting, find yourself communicating, really. And if you haven't heard it already, we highly recommend Rachel Holmes and Rachel Hopkins' podcast linked to this one about how we went about organising the symposium. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks so much to Liz and to John for sharing their reflections with us on the Technicast. We have some more information about the symposium in the notes for this episode, with links to where to watch out for news on the, about the upcoming call for papers for the online component of Beyond Human, which is taking place later this year. Rachel Hopkin, Liz and John have also all been featured on the Technicast discussing their individual research topics, where Rachel discusses friendship, AI, robotics and the film Silent Running. Liz's episode presents incredible soundscapes and field recordings of trees and her research journey in capturing these. And John explores the fascinating connections between folklore, landscape, history and identity. All of these wonderful episodes are available to listen to as part of our back catalogue, along with plenty more episodes featuring different PhD projects. If you would like to join us on the Technicast and talk about your own research, please do get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can look at our website, which has information about our open rolling call for papers, as well as calls for themed episodes, or you can drop us an email at technicaster at gmail.com, which is also linked in the notes for this episode. Thanks again to the organisers of Beyond Human, to Techni for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. Take care.